How is everyone? Christmas is here. Wow. Did, did it sneak up on you too? Yes. It's like, wow, where does time go? Well, as Sharon mentioned, we've been talking about this uh, kingdom come concept and in particular highlighting righteousness, peace, which Sharon did a great job last week, and, and joy. And uh, today, this message on joy, what an incredible gift. I mean, just, just think about some of the things that happen with joy. With joy, what they've noticed is it lifts your emotions. It promotes your overall happiness. People who are joyful experience deeper peace, more satisfying relationships, longer-lasting relationships. It actually lowers your blood pressure. It helps you heal faster. It's been paired to making you more successful in the marketplace. It also regenerates your physical system and helps flush out toxins from emotional stress. It disperses worry, anxiety, grief, greed, irritation, shame, and other negative emotions. Is this a big gift? It's like a whopper. It's a huge deal, this thing. And, and so we've been looking at this, this passage in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. And what we realize when we read this verse is that all of our souls are continually shopping for all three of those things. We want to be right. We want to experience peace. And we want to know joy. We really want to experience that. But what exactly is joy? What is it? Is it victory and triumph? Is it this, this sense where people talk about the joy of victory and the agony of defeat? Is that joy? Is it about friendship and fun and moments where we just uh, experience kind of those things where it's, it's a joy to be with you? Is it about family and connecting? Go ahead, you mushballs. There he is. <laughs> Say hi to Emmett. Emmett is going to be my linebacker friend. He was nine pounds, three ounces. He's like the heavyweight champion of the world. So when I hold him, he's like a little shot put. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, let's get to the weight room, dude. Anyhow, it's fun. But is that all that joy is, or is there more? We wonder about it. Is, it. is it these happy, exhilarating moments that make you dance with friends? Well, yes. I mean, that is places and points where we experience joy. But you've got to reckon with all of what Scripture says when you're defining joy. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. So you go, Wow. Really? How does that work? And we're going to read from Philippians where the Apostle Paul is writing from a jail and he writes the epistle, Philippians, which is called the letter of joy. So we know it isn't always about these high points and the funny things when we watch these kids, you know, are up here performing for us. And don't you love how they're so emphatic when they finish a word? They might miss the previous seven, but then they'll go, like when they say Bethlehem. <laughs> they're in it we love it but we know that joy has got to exceed this so I, i'm praying i'm saying lord help me help me get a good biblical well-rounded definition so i went to my favorite bible dictionary the new bible dictionary and this is what it said for joy 
It is the quality, and not simply an emotion, okay, grounded upon God himself and indeed derived from him, which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also anticipates eschatologically the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. What? It doesn't even sound joyful. And then I looked in and I went, this, this, it, it breaks the number one rule of writing a definition. You can't use the word you're defining in the definition. So I was like, I slammed my Bible dictionary. I said, that's terrible. How did that get in there? So I, then I went to my concise dictionary of Christian theology, one of my favorites, Lard Erickson, a sense of satisfaction and delight that is not affected by circumstances. I thought, okay, feel like we're moving in the right direction, but what, what's a sense? What is the sense? So I went to my friend Dallas Willard, and he says joy is not a pleasure, a mere sensation. Said, okay, their sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. So now he's defining the sense. It claims our entire body and soul, both the physical and the non-physical side of the human self, hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. And I said, Dallas, that makes my head feel swollen. What in the world? And I don't know if I agree with the constant sense, because as much as I'd like to constantly experience joy, I don't. True confession. I don't, maybe you do. But I don't. So I, so I came up with my own definition. Tell me what you think about this. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being that continually refuels itself from God's sovereign goodness and care. So joy is this pervasive body, soul, spirit, mind, everything. It pervades, it kind of permeates through my being because I know that God has it. God has me. He will work all things together for good. And I know somehow he is working all things together for good. And what's interesting to me is that as you read the research on the psychological and sociological side, when they're studying happiness, they're using some of the same terms, a sense of well-being. They talk about pervasiveness. They talk about how important relationships are and how important purpose and meaning are. And so actually what's happening is there's this convergence of great research that affirms the biblical narrative about what it means to be a joyful person. And we know that joy is a big deal. It's a huge deal because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the thought there, you know, it's interesting. The, the people had just had this huge labor to rebuild the temple and all, all the walls and all these things. It was a massive undertaking. And then the priests come and they read the book of the law and they hadn't heard the book of the law and, and they hear it and they realize, gads. Building this building was a breeze. When we hear all the stuff we're supposed to be building in our souls, we're a mess. And they started to weep. And Nehemiah comes out and goes, whoa, 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 time, 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 whoa. Never work from a place of deficiency. Always work from the place of joy. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you try to strive out here, like we've got to get this done somehow for God, you're working from a place that's a negative place. You want to work from the positive place that your God has sovereign care and goodness that's following you. And you can take certain joy that he who began a good work in you will complete it. This is so important because part of what the researchers have been able to articulate, and this is so true, is that in our lives... 
We're meant to live out of joy. We're meant to have this centeredness in joy. But we're always surrounded by what the psychologists talk about, these six buckets of emotion. And you could take just about every negative experience in the world, and you could put it in one of these six negative emotions. And the idea is here is that as you mature and as you become a person who is anchored with joy, you might experience fear. And you might get dragged over here in this fear. But you know your way back to Joyville. You know how to practice the presence of God. You know how to reconnect with God. You know how to remember the things. You have people around you who feel your joy. And instead of operating out of fear, you operate out of joy. How many would choose joy over fear? How many would choose joy over sadness? Be bold. You're ordering it now. The waiter will be right with you. How many of you would choose joy over despair, disgust, and shame, and anger? Of course you would. And so what Paul is going to give us in this amazing treatise, and, you know, I I had over 40 pages of notes, a 12-point font, all this... All this information. So we're going to be here for several days. So so I'm doing my very best to try to bring this together. But it is so important. Because healthy, growing believers always come back to this joy center. And we want to learn from a guy who is the master of joy. And I can think of no one better than Paul. He's writing the letter of joy from a pit in the ground. I mean, literally, go in your backyard, dig about 14 feet deep, hollow it out, and just sit down there. It's smelly. It's dark. Talk about seasonal affective disorder. There you are. You don't have a bathroom. Your room, your pit is your bathroom. In fact, the animals that are traveling regularly over the street above you, there's nothing to cover their droppings. So you get blessings from above. And this guy writes a letter of joy, rejoicing. He's got something to teach us. Can I get an amen? He's got something. And it's so important that we learn how to do it because a lot of Christians, they, their practice when they're trying to get back to a joy center is they think I can just turn off the naughty emotion. Because we know as Christians, anger, that's, that's kind of a naughty emotion. So we feel this anger and we go, oh, I got to do it. But if you don't go to the joy center, instead you just turn it off, you shut off all your emotions. You don't just shut off the negative emotion, you shut off joy. You shut off peace. You shut off all your emotional contextions because it's not anchored in Christ. And so we can't have a practice where the idea is we just flip off our emotions, that's Not what God is after. And furthermore, we know it's important that we work at this because emotions are contagious. We we catch emotions. This is why you don't want to sit next to a crabby person. Don't poke the person who's sitting next to you right now. You don't want to because you feel like crabbiness is contagious. You don't want to hang out with angry people because it feels like it's contagious. But the beautiful thing is that if those things are contagious, guess what else is contagious? Joy. Right. You caught joy from these kids in that moment. You were catching it, weren't you? I didn't look out there, because I, I looked at you. 
And I didn't see anyone doing this. Get this over with. What is this? Everybody was smiling. Radiance, joy. So it's contagious. Well, let's get to the how-tos and open your Bibles to Philippians 1. And we're going to read this passage. It's just so packed. So packed. I have a huge appreciation for the the letter now. I, I just can't tell you. And my admiration for Paul just blew out the ceiling. I, I just think this guy is, is a crazy rock star. He's just something else. Anyhow, here's what it says. First six verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I Thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. See, that's, that's the part that's tied to the sovereign goodness and care of God. I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm confident God who started a work in you will complete it. That's what God does. It's not what I do, it's what he does. And Paul is like, yeah, I know he's going to do it. So let's grab some tips from the great apostle of joy. Because if he can be a happy soul in jail, how much more I mean, should we who walk freely? First thing you notice when you read this opening part is relationships. And all the research indicates this, that joyful people are connected people. Joyful people give time and energy and focus to nurturing relationships, to going deeper, to really recognizing who God is sending to you and who God is sending you to. And Paul and Timothy, that's his, that's his true son in the faith. He's got Paul and Silas. You've got Paul and Barnabas. You've got uh, all these different people that travel with Paul through the mission's work And if you look at what historians will say, Paul would take large groups of people out of his own personal finances on mission trips with him. Up to 20, sometimes 30 people, depending on the length of the trip, he would bring his tribe with him because he understood, if I'm going to experience joy, sometimes I need to catch it from my friends. Can I get an amen? Sometimes I need to catch it from my friends. And I want to say to you, that I am praying, I've been praying actually for years, I believe that God arranges the body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe that God has people who you may not even know right now in this room that he wants you to connect to that will become sources of connection, of relationship, of passion, of sharing gifts, of catching joy from one another. I really believe that. But you've got to open your heart to that. I can't do that. You can And I know when we get to a certain age, I mean, look at me, I'm old. Kids think I'm Santa Claus. What's the deal? Listen, I know it takes energy. I know it it involves risk. But if we don't open that up, because all the research indicates this. If you look for happiness, just happiness, you won't find it. You're on a dead-end trip. But if you look for meaning in relationship you will discover as a byproduct happiness. 
But you can't go shopping for happiness without thinking about who am I taking with me. We need each other desperately. And so Paul knows this. This is his disciple. He's handing the faith to Timothy. He's giving him churches that he's planted. He's saying, take this and run with this. And if you have been a Christian for more than 10 years, let me tell you this. You will stop growing if you don't pass on what you got. And after 10 years, you got a lot. You do. And you learn best what you have to teach. And all the research shows right now, if you don't give away what you got, you're going to go numb. You're going to go stale. You're going to start to slide. So I would encourage you, pray about leading a life group. Talk to me about that. Pray about mentoring a young person. How can you resist not working and discipling those little ones after that? Come on! Would it not be fun? I mean, it's, it's funny. Kid says, yeah, they didn't have trucks. You know, you just like, it's just marvelous. But you see, you, you've got to give yourself to those relationships. And when you do, you grow. And Paul knew that. And you'll grow in joy. You'll experience joy. Talk to Sandy Powell. I said, do you like teaching? She goes, I wouldn't give up teaching. I love it. I catch so much joy from these little ones. And then Paul says this. He goes, we're servants of Christ Jesus. Dulos, bond servants. The lowest of the low. Bottom rung of the ladder. Philippi was a burgeoning city. It was industrious. And status meant everything. Oh, you're a business owner. Oh, you're a high-ranking government official. To be a doulos in Philippi was... And what Paul is saying, he's, he's thumbing his nose at this status of... He's saying, you will not find joy in status or position. You will only find joy if you serve Jesus in a way that touches other people's lives. And so, Paul... Paul's not, he's not under the jailer's guard. He's not under the prison guard. In fact, those prison guards that you'd be changed to, they're Paul's prisoners. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? What are you going to hear about all day? Hmm? The most prolific writer of the New Testament, what do you think he's talking about? Um, guards, sit down here. I want to run through the letter of Romans with you. I want to explain the Roman road to faith. He's preaching to them. They're probably begging to get out of that pit. He's giving it to them both barrels. Because he understands, no matter where I am, I always have purpose because God has called me. And when you go to work, you ain't going to work. You're gone because Jesus is sending you. And when you go to school, you ain't going to school. You're going as a missionary to the school. You're a living letter to be read of all men, all, all women. You're, going to be, you're a bulletin board for Jesus. No matter where you are, you're there declaring. And so Paul is saying, listen, no matter where I am, no matter the circumstances, I am in Jesus and I'm doing my thing because grace and peace come from him. It doesn't come from having a nicer room. It doesn't come from having nicer cars. It doesn't come from nicer clothes. It doesn't come from those. It comes from God. And I serve him. And he pours out to me. And I get grace and peace. 
This is why the verse says, you're going to find this joy in the Holy Spirit, in Christ, in God. It's in Him. When you're lacking joy and you're looking at your circumstances, you're mad, you've got a flat tire on the side, you go, I'm in a mess. Well, you are in a mess. Get out of the mess and get in Jesus. That's where you got to go. You said, you, Paul, are you in jail? Mm-mm, I'm in Jesus. That's where I am. We stumble with that. The way you, you can best work with it is turn it around and think about who's in you. Who's in you? Jesus. You guys could say it a little bolder. Who's in you? That's better. There you go. He's in you. Now think about this. I want to play the cello. Right now, it's not going so well. I'm terrible with the bow. And it sounds not good. But imagine if someone could put Yo-Yo Ma inside of me. Now when I sit down, I can say, okay, Yo-Yo, do your thing. And I can cooperate with Yo-Yo Ma inside of me. Do you think I have a better chance? You're right. I asked Sharon, who's your favorite golfer? Is it still Phil? Okay, Phil or Rory, they're both great golfers. You put them both in you. All of a sudden, Phil and Rory are in there. She's getting ready to drive. They're like, what happened to Sharon? She's cooperating with Phil and Rory. And see, when you're in a moment and you need to experience peace and joy, you've got to first cooperate with who's in you. The best way to do that is get to them. Because the psalmist says this, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there's fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. So when Paul and Silas in Acts 16, it says they were severely beaten. They were flogged. So what would happen is they would take some kind of stick, wood, and they would usually put barbs and glass and shards of something hard in there, stones sometimes, and they would whack your back. And when they'd whack it, they'd Turn it to rip your back, and then they'd tear it off. That's what happened to their backs. Now they're tossed 14, 15 feet down into the sewer in chains. How you doing? I am grumpy, if that's me. I'm despondent. Honest, I'm just being, I'm trying to picture myself. I'm a little despondent. Oh boy, we're in it now. Ouch. Right? I mean, let's get real about this. At midnight, the scripture says, they're moaning and groaning and complaining. And they're asking for a room transfer. Can they see the head waiter? What are they doing, people? They're singing. Singing. At midnight, with bleeding backs in a dark, smelly hole. Why? Because they know they've got to find their way back to Joyville. They cannot stay on the negative side of this. They, and they don't know what that means. They don't know what's going to happen. All they know is that in here, they've got to get up there. And so they're worshiping. They're, they're fighting their way back to Joyville. And I love the story because I can imagine at that point in time, you know, they're in a prison. There's not very nice people in prisons, right? And I don't think these guys are real happy that they're singing at midnight. They're probably really annoyed, right? 
They were like, when are these guys going to shut up for crying out loud? Singing, singing, singing. And why? All of a sudden, talk about jailhouse rock. God takes that place and just rattles it. The doors fly open. You know the story. Chains fall off. They're like, whoo, that singing stuff works. You bet it works. But they weren't concerned about getting free. They're already free in Jesus. They're just concerned about getting into Joyville. And so it's so important that you folks know, how do I connect with Jesus best? How does this work? We need to practice. We need to know our pathways to God. For me, being in the woods is such an important pathway. I just walk in the woods, and as soon as I'm surrounded by it, I'm just like, oh, hello, Father. And we're talking, and we're walking, and I just feel so close. In, in worship, when I'm playing my guitar, I'm telling you guys, I, on Wednesday morning, Matt comes and he brings one song. He does, where are you, Matt? You do such a good job. Because what Matt brings, it's only one song we have. But we stay in that song for, I don't know, it's 20, 25 minutes, isn't it, Matt? Last Wednesday, God was like, here. My nose was getting like, God, could you back up, please? You know, it was just right here. God all over me. I just sat in the presence of the Lord, and I was like, oh, I felt like a dry sponge. Will you just, oh, every part of my being, Lord. And as I'm there, I, I, all of a sudden, the Spirit is bringing to mind just different words that God has spoken and encouragements. And all of a sudden, words, I started to get words for some of the people in the staff. We're just sitting in the presence of, of the Lord. And no one wants to do the meeting after that. <laughs> I mean, that is the meeting. It's just wonderful. And you've got to know your way back to Joyville. What is that for you? Is it digging into the Word? Is it having a cup of coffee and talking with your friends about Jesus? What is it? What's your pathway? Because when you're experiencing that negative side, the challenges of life, you've got to know your way back to get there. Does that make sense? Paul knows his way back. Here's some things that he does in this next verse that are really important. We're not going to have time to elaborate, but I want you to to notice these things. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Thank and remember. Remember those. In all my prayers, third thing, prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's three things here that Paul gives us that are so important if you're going to really fill out the joy. Number one is, joyful people learn how to thank God. Scripture says, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God. How in the world do you do that? Well, watch the Apostle Paul. What has he got to be thankful for circumstantially in a pit? When he's thrown in the slammer with murderers and robbers, and the only reason he's in there is because he delivered some poor girl of a demon. What? But what does he say in the letter? He says, listen, I'm thanking God for this because what's happened is God has used my circumstance to free people to preach the gospel. And now people are preaching with greater boldness. And he even talks about some of the people that are trying to get him in trouble. He says, yeah, there's even some people that are preaching to get me in trouble. And you know what? That doesn't matter. All I care is that the gospel is going out. The way our brains work, all the research indicates this, is our brains drift towards the negative. It drifts towards the fearful. 
Because we're wired to survive. When we see danger and threat, that's where our brains lock in. And so our, our natural tendency is to focus on the negative. And what we need to do in our spiritual practice is learn to thank God. I remember when I was working at Anderson Windows, it was 11 to 7, which I hated that shift. And I was going and I was driving from Bloomington to Bayport to work at Anderson Windows. Betsy and the kids all had the flu. I felt like I was starting to get it, but I had to go to work. It was important. So I'm going to work, and as I get in the car, I am grumpy. Capital G and probably capital R. I'm grumpy. And back out, you know, and I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of half praying. You know how you do that? You're kind of staring up at God. You don't want to look in his eyes. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says really clearly to me, thank me. So what does grumpy Mark do? I go, thanks. Thanks a lot. It's a wonder I'm still alive, people. Anyhow, he says, no, thank me. So I go, okay, thank you. What am I going to thank you for? As soon as I said, what am I going to thank you for? I started realizing, started popping into my mind. Oh, thank you that you're my way. Thank you that you're my strength. Thank you that you're my healer. Thank you that you can be with Betsy. Thank you that you'll be with each of the kids. Thank you that you will give me strength to get through this night. Thank you, Lord. And as I thanked the Lord, it freed my soul. I was coming out of the prison that I had created in my grumpiness. And I was returning to Joyville. It doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual discipline. But I'll tell you, when you practice that, and all the research indicates, truly joyful people are thankful people. So for the last two months, I've started. I've got a, I've got a gratitude journal. Every day, I write at least five things that I'm thankful for. And I love to page back over. It's really good. But if you're stuck there, this is a key. Remember. Paul talks a lot about Philippians remembering and rejoicing. And if you can't think of something right in the moment that you're thankful for or that you're grateful for, think about something God has done. And if you can't think of something that God has done for you, think about a friend and begin to thank God for what he did for a friend. If you can't find that, go to the Bible and look at a story and say, thank you, Lord, for what you did there. Because what you did there, you want to do for me. And begin to thank God. You've got to remember and recall because that enables you to rejoice. Rejoicing is reruns of what God has done. And we need to practice that when we're stuck. And finally, that you know, it's just the power of prayer because we know this. We can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That isn't just for Paul. He's writing that to these people. In many cases, Paul goes to start a church. He's there for a month or two. Then he's gone. They don't have Bibles. They don't have seminaries. They don't have that. He's got to trust them to the Holy Spirit and to the few teaches, teachings that he did. And he's able to say, I know, I know, I know because God cares far more than I care. He's going to finish what he started in you. And so oftentimes when you're stuck outside of Joyville, you feel like, I'm done. I'm shot. Woo! Bury me now. And you need to call to mind. No. If you're breathing... He who started the good work in you will complete it. 
He who calls you is faithful and he will bring it to pass. He knows the plans for your life. He's orchestrating your steps. He's calling all of the kingdom to come to bear. Paul didn't know what it was going to look like, but bam, that jail just blew open. But he was going to run free. He had work to do. I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm going to preach. This is the prison guard. Let's go take care of your family. Let's get this done. We've got to have the confidence that he will work in me and he will work in you and he will work in us. And that causes us to have great joy because it's that pervasive sense of well-being because God is working and God is good and God is faithful and God's not fickle and God's not bailing. God's not going to run out of answers. He is the answer and he will do it. Because of that, have joy. Paul, uh, Tom and I were talking about Paul, and he says, this is one of Tom's favorite verses. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't it be something if Bridgewood became known as this crazy, happy church? When I first started here, I, w- I asked people, Cub, hey, do you know about the church down the road? Some would say, I don't know. Oh, it's Bridgewood. I'd say, Bridgewood, I'd go, oh, I've heard that church helps a lot of people. I heard that a lot. I heard they help people a lot. You think it's a good church? Yeah, it probably is because they're helping people. I said, oh, okay, good. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if you went down to Cub? You say, hey, you know about that church, Bridgewood? Oh, yeah, I know about them. Why are you doing that? Because they're crazy happy. What do you mean they're crazy? Oh, they're all the time. And it's not like this fake, syrupy, happy. Those people are serious. They get flat tires and like, praise the Lord. What? They face hardship. They're like, praise the Lord. I don't know how this is going to work out. He's going to work it out. They're crazy happy down there at Bridgewood Church. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And the beauty of it is that's contagious. Watch this clip, and I'll show you how. Watch, you'll see it. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. I am so good. <laughs> nice to meet you. What's your name? My name is Patrick George. Patrick George. Yes. Okay, and what's the act, Patrick? I, I'm a gospel choir. You, you're... <laughs> Just you. Yes, I'm a choir. Did you eat them? <laughs> Simon! There's no one else around. Well, where's the rest? Where's the rest of them? <laughs> do you have a normal job, Patrick? Yes, I do. What is it? I'm a pastor. A pastor? Yes, I am. <laughs> Do you think you could save Simon's soul? Or do you think he's going straight to hell? (laughs) Well, you'll be driving the bus, dear. (laughs) Anyway, back to Patrick. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, I can't wait to hear the act. Good. Good luck. Still can't see any of this choir, can you? No. 
One, two, three, four. I open my mouth to the Lord and I won't turn back. I will go, I shall go to see what the end's gonna be. I open my mouth to the Lord and I won't turn back. That's clever. I like that. I shall go to see what the end's gonna be. I open my mouth to the Lord. contagious joy can be? Isn't that amazing? I mean, you can go ahead and clap. I mean, it's astounding. Man, those voices, it's like, whoa. And you can make Simon smile? That's a big deal. But, you know, even more, you just, you watch the people resonate. Ladies and gentlemen, some of us are going into family situations that are hard, or maybe we'll know friends that are going into them. We could be joy bringers. Because we do, inside of us, have the joy of the Lord. Jesus is in us. And as we get into Joyville, and we carry out of Joyville more of the joy of the Lord, it can have that impact wherever we go, to whoever we meet. So as we get ready for the offering, can we pray together? And just pray towards that end. Lord, we thank you that you offer to us the pathway to life. And that as we follow the pathway, we come into your presence and there's eternal joys forevermore. It's like mind-blowing. It transcends anything that we could hit here on earth. Thank you so much, Jesus. And so we offer afresh our hearts. Would you fill them with joy? And as we go into situations this Christmas, let us be joy bringers because you're with us. Thank you so much for that, Lord. And we offer to you this, these finances and ask that you'd multiply them and expand your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.